Hello and welcome to Talking Dad UK, a podcast where we discuss all things dad. Follow and support the podcast on social media at Talking Dad UK One. All links will be in the show notes and descriptions. Hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Hello, George. Hey, Jamie. Nice to see you again. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm really good. Thanks. Really good. It's been a positive start to the year so far. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. You're um, you're back for um, podcast episode number two. Yeah, man. Couldn't you just couldn't get enough of you? you know? <laughs> um, I think last time we spoke, it was June or July time last year. Um, yeah, of course, that long ago. Blimey, time does fly, doesn't it? Yeah, I did. I did pop back on and listen to um, and listen to it briefly, um, just for research purposes earlier on. And um, yeah, we were talking about how warm it had been in the hot weather, and we were um, sat with windows and doors open. And obviously, this time around, it's complete opposite, really. <laughs> Yeah, oh, dude, like I've been trying to get the um, frost out of the inside of my car. It's just been, uh, <laughs> been like, ice scraping on the inside of my car. It's so bad at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So um, your second episode, but maybe we call it a part two, and we're going to discuss some <laughs> some music, some music stuff on a, on this episode. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, well, we'll start off just first of all by uh, how's uh, how's uh, your your wife and uh, your son. From, from last time when we spoke yeah yeah i've been doing they've been doing good thanks my um so since last time we spoke my son and i have both been given inhalers actually by a doctor so oh, right. um, i can't say i think he's basically been diagnosed with asthma with me it's oh, been right. a bit more ambiguous but uh, okay we've, we've known for a long time there's been something going on with it, um sort of his breathing and stuff and so it was really really great that we finally got this uh this inhaler sorted out and he's just been so much better instantly and same goes for myself as well i got really ill in september then um just wouldn't this cough wouldn't go away got, got yeah. an inhaler and then like 24 hours later i was doing, doing so much better it was great oh well, wow um, yeah yeah so i was really just thankful that he he managed to um get one as well and get himself sorted out yeah yeah how's life been with you that's good um yeah not too bad um as we spoke briefly earlier on on a message um my wife went back off um, maternity leave in uh, beginning of january so we're, we're still trying to get used to the new routine <laughs> yeah yeah and that, that includes the baby going to nursery and stuff he's uh he's only had a few sessions because we got interrupted by um covid so he's, he's only had a few sessions and he's not quite enjoying it as much as our oldest did when he first went to nursery so we're just oh, having no. to get used to it a little bit right right the settle's just been a little bit well unsettled yeah um, yeah, yeah well is it i suppose is you could call him a lockdown baby really and uh he's not really used to interacting with you know that many different people other than family so i suppose it's just getting used to it it's just the routine of it myself and my wife getting used to the the, the routine again of getting up and going taking her to work and because i've been working from home and i still am and now she's actually yeah. got to go to work. So doing all of that and uh, just getting used to it, settling in a little bit after uh, after the break over Christmas. So Yeah, yeah. It's been, um, yeah, you come back to work and you wonder if you've even had a break after one day. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, how old how old's your, how old's your son now? He's three. He's three. So oh. he was born at a bit of a weird time where 
um, so he's born at the end of 2018. So he had all his time to develop pre-COVID, but then when COVID happened and all the lockdowns and social distancing and all that kind of stuff, he um, he he was he was walking and he was interacting with other people and um, he really really loves doing that sort of thing. But then all of a sudden, we were having to tell him like, oh no, no, no like come away and you know all, oh, all this yeah. kind of like you know making him socially socially distance himself from from others from yeah. like other adults because he's just got up to other adults and and just sort of interact with them and stuff like that as well when we're at the park and um we couldn't he's not old enough for us to be able to like properly explain and him understand like this is what's going on you know like this this virus going around and you know like all this all this you know lots of bad things are happening and yeah you know, we have to socially distance he can't understand that concept but later on in life he's going to have going to be like learning about this at school and you know in textbooks all that kind of stuff and we'll have to tell him like that yeah you lived through that you were just yeah. too young to remember any of it yeah definitely we've had similar conversations about obviously what what ours are going to be learning about and having gone through it and things yeah it's uh hopefully we're, we're, we're moving away out of that now and we'll be able to talk about um something other than that really <laughs> yeah definitely it's just taking over our lives isn't it yeah um, yeah exactly yeah my my work our office got refurbed during one of the lockdowns last year which was really nice we haven't haven't been in to see it yet they've been super super cautious about reopening yeah so i still haven't seen the um the refurb i mean i i asked for a ball pit and like five five poles to go between floors okay. i don't know if i had got those requests or not <laughs> well it'll be a nice surprise when you go back won't it <laughs> <laughs> it'll be great i'll be straight into the ball pit, man. <laughs> so speaking of uh, other topics to talk about we're going to chat a little bit about music today and um yes me for a reason <laughs> <laughs> i was um i was listening back a little bit to your previous episode and for anybody that wants to go back and and check that one out if you haven't already i think it's episode 15 and i will um i will include that in the uh show notes of this episode just for anyone's reference um and and you mentioned during our last conversation um that you started playing music around 12 years old yeah that's right yeah i um I just wondered what what that kind of looks like for you and how that started and and what what was what was the instrument you picked up or was it an instrument even what that looks like okay so picture the scene <laughs> um, so my my mum walk basically walks in one day and is like I've got you this present she had this um this DVD of an old british comedy from the 1980s called the young ones oh yeah and uh, my dad was trying to like block this from happening apparently i found out much later because uh, he like highly disapproves of this kind of like you know vomit comedy you know or, like yeah. ben elton and, and jackass that kind of stuff yeah yeah and um uh, i got to watch it and they had a band on every week um yeah. i remember it was like you know nine below zero dexy's midnight runners motorhead so quite a quite a quite a mixture and i loved all of it that i heard but the one that really did it for me was madness they played house of fun yeah there's this episode where they're um, they're walking to the pub and uh, as they walk into the pub like madness playing the house of fun um kind of between scenes they're walking and the band playing in the pub and i was just loved what i heard it was it was so brilliant that at that point i just had to kind of keep listening so i was like you know hopping onto onto apple music and, and listening on there and um uh, my parents knew about them so uh they were like oh yeah tried the, yeah this song so my dad 
uh, introduced me to, to Baggy Trousers, which is a fantastic song. Yeah. And uh, my mum bought me some uh, bought me some 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 of their uh, albums and stuff that I listened to. It was fantastic, and I, I just love listening to it. And I thought, like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I can't sing, so uh, next <laughs> best thing is the is the guitar. That's the next like lead instrument. So uh, yeah, because I wanted all the attention, of course. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, I started begging my parents for a guitar, and it was all downhill from there, really. Um, ended up playing uh, classical guitar, actually. I got sent to a, um, my lessons initially were at classical music school on the weekends, and went from like a morning, and then it was like half a day, and then it was a full day, and I was basically just there all weekend, eventually by my teenage years, and I, I absolutely loved it. And the, the classical guitar, was that sort of parents' decision, or was that just whatever was available to you at the time? Yeah, it was more just what's available. It was kind of freak luck, really. But I, yeah. I was so glad because the, the teacher that I had, he um, uh, kind of took me to one side and was like, look, I know you're into all this. Um, by this point, I was into a lot of like, hard rock and heavy metal. So yeah. bands like Iron Maiden and Motorhead and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, I know you're into this stuff and I'm into it too. So why don't we split our lessons up half and half? Okay. Do half classical and then half I am Maiden, Lamb of God, all this yeah. kind of stuff. It was fantastic. I had a yeah. brilliant time. We were playing um, these like Slipknot tracks on on nine and string classical guitars, and it great. sounded absolutely brutal. It was brilliant. I had a great time. Yeah. So was that the teacher that stayed with you for quite a while, or did you change over to other guitar um, teachers? Yeah. Well, my my very first teacher was at school. My school ran uh, like music private music tuition program. Yeah. It was like really dirt cheap, and there's a reason why it was dirt cheap. Um, and um, the teacher that I had initially, he wasn't he wasn't particularly interested. He was really into the Beatles as well, which my dad had banned when I was growing up. Like my dad hated the Beatles with a passion, right? <laughs> and um, he he didn't. I don't think he really wanted to do it. To be honest with you, I think he was just sort of asked because he was one of the music teachers at the school and could play guitar, so he was roped into doing these guitar lessons and. Um, so I was pretty ready to quit quite early on because I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't enjoying it very much. But then after I told my parents, they then found this other this other school. It wasn't um, that much more in terms of like cost or anything like that to do just like a, a quick morning once every um, Saturday. Plus, I think, you know, got me out of the house for a bit and like they had a bit of a lone time. So they could get, get rid of me for a bit. Yeah. And um, and that, that made it just that much more enjoyable, really. Uh, I had him... Yeah, for uh, until I moved to university, so I did for about six years as a as a guitar teacher, week in week out. It was brilliant. Yeah, it's a um, it's an odd thing finding that right guitar teacher, isn't it? It's um, <clears throat> I remember I was probably about eleven or twelve when I got my first guitar. My dad had played in bands. Um, nothing that I really remember him doing, but before I came along, he was in bands um, and played drums and played a little bit of guitar. But he'd always had music in the house um, and, and that kind of thing. So getting my first guitar and then getting lessons where there was a... The first guitar teacher I had was was quite good, really. He was quite an older guy. And, well, to me at the time, obviously, he was quite older. But I'm thinking about now, <laughs> thinking about now, he was probably in his 40s or maybe early 50s or something like that. And um, he was a Scottish fellow. And I thought... I don't really know if this is going to work, but obviously he knows how to play guitar and I don't. So let's just see what happens. And um, he was really quite good and he would kind of teach me all the basics and the easy stuff. And then he would ask me what I was interested in and he'd try and incorporate that a little bit. And um, yeah, yeah. But he played 
I'm not sure what he did for a living over, you know, as his true living aside from guitar teaching, but he played in a band, um, a Bob Dylan tribute band. And, um, oh, nice. I yeah, like that. he was the guitarist. And we went to see them a few times and, and they were actually quite good. I mean, it was nothing I was into at the time, but just because of knowing him, we went to see them and it was quite good. But he moved away for work and he couldn't do the guitar teaching anymore. So I had to find a different one. And I'd only kind of been with him maybe a couple of years. And obviously being sort of quite young, I'd still not sort of picked up too much where I could have sort of carried on learning by myself or anything like that. So we found another one. And um, he was quite a youngish guy and all he wanted to teach anyone or talk to anybody about was Green Day. And and I wasn't into Green Day at the time. I've only kind of listened to Green Day going backwards as I've got older. And, um, but he wasn't interested in playing, like teaching me anything other than Green Day. There was a bit of Foo Fighters he he taught me. And then um, we just didn't get on that well. And... Yeah. He'd always turn up late. He used to use the bus to come up like in the evening to come in to give his lessons, and he'd turn up late, and then he'd want to leave on a certain time because he needed to get his bus home. And it was a bit like, yeah, this ain't gonna, this isn't gonna last. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, it gives that feeling when they if they if they don't really you don't feel like they want to be there, then yeah, you you kind of start not wanting to be there yourself. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, so. So then we kind of just moved on to like my dad would show me a few bits and pieces of what he knew, but um, and then obviously getting obviously th- further on in school when you start doing music lessons and, and you meet up with like mates. I, I had a good friend that's through school who we played in bands with, and he was really good at guitar, and his dad was really good and taught him. So I just kind of learned off him a little bit then, and we just sort of practiced between ourselves. Yeah, that, that that first experience of a guitar teacher, if it's not quite right, it can put people off, can't it? And it can be difficult. Yeah, it definitely can. But uh, did you? You were like really lucky that your dad at least was was willing to teach you guitar. I remember um, I met meeting um, Adam Wakeman uh, years and years ago, and um, his dad Rick Wakeman, the keyboardist for Yes, yeah. was um, very much active at the time uh, when when Adam was a kid. And and uh, Adam goes up to him one day and asks, "Oh, can you teach me how to play piano keyboard like you do?" And uh, his, his dad, Adam, just like throws him this um, this record of Yes music and says, there you are, just just play along to that. And so immediately it forced Adam to like learn how to play by ear and, and teach himself. But um, I personally know for, like I wouldn't be able to learn learn that way. It took me a long time to be able to transcribe and, and play by ear. And I was, I was about 19, I think, when I started being able to do it really well. To a, decent, yeah. to a decent level that partly might have been my classical training as well because we're taught to read a piece of music and just play it yeah um, not really taught to improvise or anything like that but um it was interesting that you you, you had the the teacher that you did who wanted to teach you green day songs and, and stuff like that you said it was a bit young um a bit younger because um my teacher that i had the, the classical one he was younger he was about 24 i think when i started having lessons with him and um uh, but he was into like similar stuff that I was. It was just kind of luck, really. Yeah. But then later on in my final year of um, of school, so I was about 14, 15 at the time, uh, my parents saw that I was really planning on taking music seriously and wanted to go to university and do the whole, you know, the whole rock star lifestyle, that kind of stuff, you know. Um, they, they got me another guitar teacher and it was one, another one based at the school. 
but um, there was somebody else, and it was this older guy who's, who must have been in his maybe his 50s or 60s, and he worked construction for his day job, but he, he taught the school as well. And all he wanted to do really was like his old blues songs and stuff, but it was stuff that I hadn't really done with my yeah the guitar teacher I also had like at the, at the classical school so I was doing all these like these these bar chords and old you know Tommy Tucker type you know and Lead Belly and Blind Lemon Jefferson all that kind of all those those kinds of artists that I've never really been exposed to before so that was great for me to get this this wide range of stuff that I was exposed to from from an early age because um I think like you said before about now listening to Green Day and sort of going back to it now that you're a bit older, I did the same thing. Where, yeah, before the whole watching the young ones and listening to Madness, I really, really didn't like the music that I was um, listening to. Uh, my mum would have the radio on when I was on the way to school, and it was playing a lot of sort of garagey music, you know, sort of early mid um, mid two thousands kind of stuff. So I think Fifty Cent, I remember from quite a young age, was was one of them, and I, I think I was too young to really appreciate it, and and you know respect what they were doing but um but in my old age now i go back and listen to it I'm like, oh this is like cool retro stuff it's brilliant. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think i was like sort of mid mid-teens listening to that in my bedroom <laughs> um getting big into hip-hop and rap around that kind of time but then at the same time listening to a lot of indie music and, and having that influence from my dad of rock and and you know that kind of stuff as well. So I had a good mixture. It was listening to quite a, quite a, a wide range. Um, probably not so much now. Um, well, maybe. Um, but um, so then you you mentioned um, sort of being in a band from sixteen and going on your first tour and that kind of stuff. And what sort of music were you playing with when you were in bands early on? Oh, my first band. We we were like. Muse meets 30 Seconds to Mars, but we were massively ripping them off. Like yeah. we were very, very like close to our, our influences. Um, we were young, you know, excited, cool. didn't really know what we were doing, but we had we had a really good run. And somebody came up to us after a gig and said, like, oh, I work in AR for this record label, and that was um, really, really fun. But we sort of ended up in, in sort sort of imploding by the um, shortly after that. Really, we put out a, a couple of singles. One did really, one did really well actually in Germany. Believe it or not, we never right. played outside of the UK, but yeah. for some reason we ended up in this German radio station. They had their own chart. We were up there between like Prodigy and Foo Fighters, and okay. so we yeah. were like really like stoked at what was happening. And we had this music video come out, and suddenly getting all this attention that I'd never had before in my life. Yeah, which is great. So um, I was absolutely loving it and just sort of barking in, in the attention. I was, couldn't get enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was fantastic um, <laughs> experience. Learned a lot from it, and then um, yeah, went off to university. Um, a lot of them went off to to Leicester actually, and continued on. They they, they formed a band called um, uh, Led by Wolves, which had a bit of gained a little bit of traction around the okay. UK, and then the drummer went on to play in a band called Kill the Ideal. Oh. Who, um, they had like a takeover on Kerrang Radio. It was signed to like Universal Atlantic at one point and um, seemed to have things going really well for themselves, but they, they broke up for about a month or two ago, right. which was a real shame. But, you know, these things happen. Yeah, yeah. So what sort of stage then do you stop playing in bands and start to... Um, is that a more recent thing when you start to just go on, go on your own and you're playing by yourself and you just... Did you just move straight into... 
the music that you do now, which is like your your, your lo-fi hip hop chill hop stuff, or did you did you experiment a little bit with singer songwriter type things? Uh, yeah, I exper- experimented more with. Um, oh, I mean, when I when I left left my last band, we were kind of a trappy alternative R and B type band with a lot of rapping in it. So we had like right. a full time rapper on on vocals and a full time singer on vocals as well. So like dual lead vocalists. Yeah, and we were we were a bit like um, artists like The Weekend and and um, and Future around about the kind of mid 2010s kind of era that that sort of trappy sound so very minimalist but we were a full band uh, i left that in 2019 april 4th and then i spent a year trying to do something um again another full band and i was just just at the time looking for looking for singers to work with but i kept getting let down over and over again but the material that we were working on and some you know, i've still got it all on my laptop and um it was just some really brilliant material which i'm so like gutted that i won't be able to ever release which is yeah. a shame but it was it was a bit like if rag and bone man and imagine dragons collaborated it was that kind of like sort of r&b bluesy type type music but um with a very cinematic feel to it was what i was working on last before i became a solo artist so you've always kind of had that crossover of genres almost of a bit of a mixture of, of different influences and, and things that you've been listening to yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people's cha- uh, tastes change all the time and yeah. um, I discover new music all the time and I always try and put it into, into my music. But um, when, I think particularly when, when you're in a band setting, you do try and have to try and keep it a quite a cohesive sound. Otherwise, you know, like annoy all the other members of the band. Yeah. Whereas now that I'm working on it, I can kind of do whatever I want. But at the same time, there is like, you know, this is confidential and this is what confidential sounds like. So I need to yeah. sort, sort of keep it that way. But at the same time, I can just say, like, look, this is me and this is how I feel now. And this is this is what I'm listening to now. Um, so I think it's one of those things where like artists change their sounds and people are like, oh, you sold out. Oh, what are you doing? Like, you got this, that, and the other. It's just like, look, their tastes have just changed. You know? Yeah, yeah. One of my, one of my favourite bands is um, Deftones. Yeah. And um, the guitarist Stephen Carpenter has said before that he doesn't listen to that much metal at all so and they're a metal band so yeah. you know that that's his taste and his taste probably changed over the years he probably was once really massively into metal but um now he's not listening to it that much anymore yeah I, sp- I suppose it's slightly more difficult when you're in a band and you've got other people to sort of work with um in terms of yeah might, might fall f- f- fairly lucky and you all listen to a similar kind of thing and it all kinds of comes together creatively in the right way or you might kind of have one person going off this direction and another one heading over here and listening to all sorts of wild stuff and you both come back together and sort of say well, let's try this but the other one wants to try something else which completely clashes and you've got to kind of work around that haven't you um yeah maybe, maybe it uh, proves quite difficult maybe it can do. I mean, when I was in my first band, I was getting into like some really heavy metal at the time. So um, I kind of gone on from bands like Fear Factory and uh, Testament Possessed. And um, then there was like more mathcore stuff as well. Number 12 Looks Like You and, and Sciopus, <clears throat> bands like that. And I was listening yeah. to at the time playing in this, you know, 30 Seconds to Mars crossed with Muse type band. So yeah, yeah. You, you, you have to be, you have to sort of remember what, you, what you're doing and try and immerse yourself as much as possible into the genre of music that you're doing. So, you know, I was still listening to that stuff 
um, whenever whenever I could. But when it came time to to writing and collaborating with the other band members, it was like, okay, focus. This is like you 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 go from listening for pleasure for like to like listening for business, yeah, and um, listening for for like creative reasons rather than pleasure. Well, there may be when it comes time to play your music live, and you can you have a bit more freedom, and you can play about with things. You could always. Um, throw in a bit of a uh, uh, metal breakdown at some point in the, <laughs> in, the in the show. Yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? <laughs> I think so, I think some of the members went a little bit more that direction after we'd like broken up. But um, uh, our, our lead singer, I remember in that band, was really influenced by Queen, so he was quite into the, like, the whole commercial and wow. harmonies, hooks, that kind of thing. It's quite a mix, uh, mix, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But again, he had to sort of you know, acknowledge that what we were trying to do with our sound. And we were we were 16 as well. So we weren't the most technical players ever and had to realize that. And so we were doing what we could yeah. with, with our um, existing abilities. Not to say that we were like terrible, but we, we weren't. Yeah, we weren't exactly Yngwie Malmsteen or anything like that at the time. Yeah. I mean, still not now, to be honest with you. He's insane. So I think. I think when we were 16, like probably when I was 16, I was kind of coming towards the end of my playing and being in a band and like my mate, my mate went on to college and studied music and, and carried on playing. I, I went off to work and, and didn't really have time to do it anymore um, <clears throat> and didn't pick the guitar up as, as often um, as I used to. So, But like around that time, like the Arctic Monkeys were massive for us um, in my sort of teenage years. So we would listen a lot to sort of indie type music that Arctic Monkeys, the Kooks, like Kaiser Chiefs would come into that and, and the Killers a little bit as well when they first started. But then, <sighs> but then image wise, like the ordinary boys were, were had a big album out at that time and it was all Fred Perry jeans and Lacoste trainers. So that was kind of our image. And then we were trying to play this kind of indie music and we didn't really know what we were doing. And we were just, going for it on stage yeah um, that's, that's cool man like, you just you just you just wing it and you learn don't you? yeah yeah I and mean, it was like a th- we were a three-piece as well and like my mate who was the the, the lead singer and um, lead guitarist i mean like he was the one that had all of the the sort of talents and and if you like and i was sort of backing up on <laughs> rhythm and then our mate who we went to school with was on the drums who was like me and it, me and the drummer were just trying to keep up, really, and that's probably why it didn't <laughs> last. You know what I mean? But um, having said that, all the music that that me and my mate had listened to, and his dad had sort of listened to, and his mum and dad had listened to similar stuff that my dad was into. So you're looking at like seventies, eighties rock, your classic rocks so like Deep Purple, Rainbow, Pink Floyd, all that kind of music. So having an influence from there. But then now, if you listen to what he does, he does like dance sort of pop um, yeah. music. It's just so strange. He's, he's, he's moved on as well himself. But um, yeah, yeah. Do you um, do you remember a, a first album that you bought or a first gig you went to? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got an older brother, and so first albums that he bought were Limp Biscuit albums because that was he was going through his like kind of angsty period, I guess, yeah, during that, yeah. that kind of that kind of time. I mean, I was like probably about 10, 15 years too young to be listening to this like Lip Biscuit, you know, yeah. like, in like 99, 2000 kind of time. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, he exposed me to that stuff 
quite early on. That was kind of like my first stuff that I was getting into. But the first album I actually physically bought was the first I made album. Oh, wow. That's, that's a good first album. <laughs> yeah, it's still one of my favourite albums to this day. I mean, admittedly, you know, I agree with the, what the band have said. The production could be a lot better, but yeah. it's still a phenomenal album. It sounds, just sounds... Just sounds more punky, really. I just, I just imagine it as a more punky album when I listen to the production. But then you, I suppose you got to think about the time it was recorded as well, and what they were doing. You know. It, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were young. They didn't really know what they were doing. You know, again, yeah. it's one of those things where you, you just wing it and you, you, you live and you learn. And yeah, you know, you, you can only learn just by trying to do it and making mistakes. But yeah, they had um, uh, Will Malone producing the album. And apparently the story goes from, from Steve Harris that he just sort of sit there with his paper and stuff and the band would record record the take and then rush rush back into the control room where Will was and sort of excitedly, how's that, how's that? He just sort of looked down for his paper. Yes, right, I think you could do a bit better. And then back on his paper. Yeah. So it wasn't even like, uh, allegedly, you know, this is a story that I've been told from one side. There's three sides to every story. But yeah. like, that's what I heard that, you know, there wasn't a lot of effort put into it on the production side of things. And then obviously after that they moved on to um, uh, Martin Birch. Yeah, uh, all their albums up until Brave New World. Um, no, up until um, uh, X Factor when they started self-producing for a couple of albums. Yeah, and um, yeah, the production was just so much better from from Killers onwards. Um, X Factor and Virtual Eleven sort of dips a little bit, I think. Um, then they went with Kevin, Kevin Shirley since then, and it's been just phenomenal production quality. What would that have been? That would have been the seventies. Uh, yeah, probably recording about seventy nine. I think that first yeah, album, late seventies. It's just amazing to think back in terms of music industry wise. Like it's it's different now because you got we we live in the digital world, don't we? But you could you didn't necessarily have to be a music producer to be a music producer. You just. <laughs> <laughs> does that make sense it's like you hear these stories from back then about these guys that just hung around um that you might think of but just like roadies and and all of a sudden they were like in the in the studio with them and they managed to do you know that kind of thing well you don't hear yeah, that yeah you don't hear about that to, anymore yeah but you can just get their mate to be the quote unquote producer but then yeah like the engineers kind of doing more of the yeah more of the work you know there's like the producer side and there's the engineer side and some you know it still happens today where, where some producers take a much more laid-back role I mean I've, I've heard that Rick Rubin being one particular kind of case where he's a lot more laid-back in his production style where he he sort of focuses more on the song um, the song delivery and the performances and that kind of stuff and then the engineer deals with all the mic setups and getting involved in all that kind of stuff whereas yeah. Um, somebody a bit more like uh, I think David Botterill being one really good example uh, of somebody who who gets a lot more involved in the engineering side when they're when they're producing an album. Um, but yeah, it can just end up being just like yeah, getting your mate into to produce an album. I know that Pitch Shift uh, in '96 with their album Infotainment, um, which is an absolutely brilliant album. I absolutely love that album. One of my favourites. They um, I don't think they had much budget, so they got a friend of theirs to produce the album. But he he. Um, as far as I'm aware, he knew what he was doing in terms of like the engineering side of things. And so right. Yeah. That album sounds brilliant. I absolutely love that one. I suppose if you pair up with a decent engineer, and then you're the type of guy that's just got a good ear, and and you're kind of listening through it, and you're thinking, you know, 
that take wasn't as good as the one you did half an hour ago. Can you be like, let's go back and listen to that and, and let's bring that back. And if you've just got a good ear for it and you know the band and you know who you're working with, that could work, I suppose, or it has done on different examples um, over the years. But I suppose yeah, now, yeah, now with it all being so digital and you could just do it in your bedroom and send it to somebody and all that kind of stuff is very different, isn't it? Yeah, you can do. Yeah, I, I um, actually about two days ago, I had a track sent back to me that I have mixed by an external producer, which um, um, I've got a new album coming out on, on February 11th. And one track from that's been done by an external producer. He actually got in contact with me. So big okay. shout out to Lewis Kelly. Um, thank you so much. It was, yeah. um, did a phenomenal job where he just mixed the track for me, which is great. Um, I've done another track. I haven't heard from him since actually, because I've, I've been trying to get back in contact with him. So Lewis, if you listen to this, please contact me. Um, <laughs> Let's see if we can get him back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause he did a brilliant job. I was so happy with it. And I want to work with him again. Um, but yeah, I had this, um, somebody else uh, mixing a different track for me a couple of days ago, one with vocals in it and, um, came back and he'd gone out of his way to kind of put a few extra little touches on, onto the track where he put like delay on certain parts of the vocals and, and, um, uh, certain other other effects sort of like you know like radio effects and, and um, panning that that sort of stuff and it just it sounded great and it's stuff that I wouldn't have thought of producing myself when you're self-producing you can be a little bit blinded to, yeah. to what's going on so I always always want to work with other people on the production side of things I you know as, as nice as it's been to have a bit of creative freedom producing myself I do miss that collaboration so much especially when it comes to like writing music yeah as well um, when with my last band, we did a, a single called Magic, um, and we recorded at Greystoke Studios. Um, yeah, big shout out to, to Andy Whitmore, um, who, who was the one of the producers on that. Um, uh, we, we recorded with a guy named James, um, and the engineer was called Lucy uh, on the first day, which was uh, they, they were brilliant. And James was very kind of get involved in the performances of of when we were recording. So kind of you know like telling me that I would try playing this way and, you know, um, uh, just sort of advising me on my playing and getting, making sure the vocals were, were uh, timing was really on point. And um, that was, that was really great. So we ended up kind of making the track go from, from a straight, you know, one, two, three, four to, to, to swing. So one and two and three and four. And it just sounded that little bit better by doing that. Okay. Then the next day we had some guy called Matt uh, along with Andy Whitmore as well. Um, uh, mixing the track down the next day and they were just putting in all these kinds of cool things that they just decided oh this will sound cool and at one point in like um there's a little like breakdown in the song and he took sampled part of the vocals made it really really high pitched and just had it repeating in the background in this um in, in this little breakdown and it's only really really subtle but you can hear it it just fills out the space nicely and it just just adds to the track so much more I never would have thought of that. And this is the you know, example of a producer who gets really, really involved into, into the process of how it sounds. Yeah. So I was really happy with that over a producer who might um, listen, listen to the track and be like, okay, well, the band wants it like this, so I'm going to do it like this. And yeah. not think about it from an outside perspective. Well, it's good that you've got that sort of creative network as well now that you can kind of collaborate like that as well. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to hopefully working with with um, the three of them again. So they were really fun. I learned so much from them. What's your What's your sort of favourite part of your creative process? Is it playing, writing, gigs, collaborating? Which Which bit do you? Or is it all of it? You enjoy it all? 
Oh, I definitely, I, I think writing is probably number one, but it's writing with others. Um, I prefer okay. write, writing with others over, the, over writing with myself. So um, uh, with my last band, yeah, that was my last kind of um, collaborative, like long-term collaborative effort at least. I've done a few collabs as confidential, but um, uh, in terms of long-term, I mean, I used to work this, this, this terrible job in the kitchen at Weatherspoons once upon a time when I first formed my last band and I'd be, I'd get up at four in the morning, I'd work until four in the afternoon and then I'd go straight back to my flat, pick up my guitar and an amp and I'd cycle to um, uh, my, the lead vocalist's house and we'd just jam until about 10 o'clock at night and I'd cycle back to mine, you know, maybe have some food, but working in Westfield's kitchen kind of puts you off eating food um, <laughs> quite severely. And uh, get get some sleep up at four o'clock next morning. It was really really like tough, but I loved the process so much because we were writing constantly, and we spent a whole year just writing, writing, writing. And then we, um, uh, when I had to go back to university, because um, the term started again, we did sessions twice a week of recording at my place when we felt like we had enough in terms of material, and we recorded two, three hundred songs, I think, in space of about eighteen months. It was just so intense but so satisfying as well because i love processes rather than outcomes so it was great to kind of see ourselves progressing and the process of us getting better at writing and becoming more collaborative and getting to know each other better as well because i've never met the vocalist before um i auditioned for the band and then we just we just hit it off really quickly and we both were really really intense people so that worked really well for us to have like these constant sessions and constantly being each other's company constantly writing constantly recording i mean he blew his voice out so many times each week i'm surprised that he didn't like develop some like nodules or something on his vocal cords <laughs> yeah what are you listening to at the moment outside of your, your own stuff that you're creating yeah, I mean, I'm sick of listening to my own stuff, that's for sure. So my new <laughs> album, it's 35 tracks. I've like had to mix them all over and over again. It's just like, listen to it. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, quite the process. But um, right now, I've been listening to um, two albums. Um, number one is Fear Factory's The Manufacturer album, which is just something I've been listening to since I was like 15. I absolutely love that album so much. Um, I recently listened to this interview with... Um, uh, Rice Fulber and Dino Cazares, so they're like the keyboardist and, and the guitarist for the band, and talking about their process for it. And so it's given me a whole new um, appreciation for the album. Listen, I'm listening right. to it in a whole different way. It's brilliant. I absolutely yeah. love it. And the other one is um, Decadence by um, by Head Automatica, which is a very different album. It's like a dance punk album, that one. <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever heard the band Glassjaw before, but it was um, formed by a couple of the members from that after Glassjaw like went on hiatus for a few years. I haven't, no. Uh, uh, last year were brilliant sort of post-hardcore bands. They were at, um, they were actually produced, their first album was produced by Russ Robinson, like the guy who basically made the whole like corn lip biscuit thing, you know, yeah, they're sound yeah, famous. Yeah. And then he decided like, oh, I'm going to produce this post-hardcore band now and just do something completely different to <laughs> wow. what yeah. you know, I was made famous for. And it's absolutely fantastic. It's like really, really like um, quite wild glass drawn music especially on their, their first album um then head automatica is a lot more sort of commercial yeah dance, dance punky music it's still like live instruments it just sounds phenomenal have you got any plans for going to gigs to watch any bands or, or, or gigging anything yourself sort of this year 
Uh, everybody seems to be cancelling at the moment. I'd love to go back to seeing gigs again. Um, I know that Dub Pistols towards the end of the year always come to Brighton, so I hope hopefully everything will be lifted by the time that Dub Pistols come into town because I love watching them. I never miss them whenever they come in. Right. Okay. Um, absolutely brilliant, brilliant band. I'm so glad that um, their first album, Point Blank, which was sort of big beat, prodigy type, you know, that, that kind of sound album, uh, is now on Spotify, which is brilliant. Listen to that plenty lately as well because they, they evolved a lot more into like drum and bass meets reggae type music since then so right. uh, it's nice to have that kind of their early sound on on there um i hope to see them later this year that's probably the only one i can really think of right now um i'm in brighton and we've, we've got concord too so we get some bands coming coming through here but at the moment everybody's just cancelling so up in the air yeah it's been a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I don't know yeah. if I mentioned it last time. I've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast, but I've still got tickets for the Ozzy Osbourne. Um, yes, yeah. No more tours tour, and <laughs> it keeps getting put back. <laughs> but he's just like, I just want to retire. Can this end, yeah, please? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I see a picture of him or a video or something on the news of him, he's looking older and older, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to get these tickets uh, fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> just like one foot out of the tour man yeah yeah but the friend i'm going with is is the same friend that um i was gonna go and watch motorhead with on one of their last gigs and and we kind of for whatever reason didn't end up doing it and then lemmy passed away so we couldn't go yeah. again and um so we said well with the aussie one we'll just keep we'll just keep the tickets and we'll go and then uh four times later we still haven't been yet, but um, not really booked anything else. I did have just just before sort of lockdown and COVID happened. There was a couple of small shows that over in Manchester that that me and my wife were going to go to. They obviously all got cancelled because they were American and and they they, they weren't travelling and and we got locked down, so that got cancelled. And we just haven't really yeah. got much had much chance to to look at anything else really unless there's anything on locally. Yeah, I just feel a bit hesitant to commit to anything just because I'm nervous about things being cancelled. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, you know, we should we should be supporting, like, music, of course, and, and buying tickets and stuff, but, um, you know, when, when things get cancelled or delayed, it's just, it just makes you that much more hesitant to, to, to buy the tickets. I've, there's a local artist in Brighton, um, Lurami, who um, I'm actually doing a collaboration with at the moment. She just sent me the vocals for it today. It sounds brilliant. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a show that she was supposed to do last year, uh, twice, um, and both times cancelled because of COVID outbreak in the in the venue. Right. So I've missed chance to see her twice last year. And I'm just that's like you know local show. I'm just just so gutted. Would you do gigs yourself? Um, you know, like one man shows or that kind of stuff, or, or do you ever do that kind of stuff? Yeah, when I th- when I first started doing the whole confidential thing, um, I start. I mean, well, I started doing it because I was let down a lot by the musicians. I was like, right, you know, I'm just going to rely on myself and you know, make proof that I can release stuff. And it's you know, I'm, it's not myself holding me back. It's it's kind of like other people and um, being let down by other people that's, that's holding me back from releasing music and. Um, I had thought about doing live shows as well, which would be great. Uh, what I'd love to do is just get a band together. So, you know, a bassist, probably another guitarist, drums, you know, keys or something, and, and some vocals as well, and just jam on stage. Like, we can use the beats that I've got as sort of foundation yeah. for 
for playing, but then just sort of improvise on stage and just have, you know, have a jolly old good time and have, you know, like probably sort of, you know, freestyle rapping or something like that over the top, which would be um, really, really fun. But it's been so difficult to get people to, um, you know, to, to not let me down before and, and to commit to something that I thought about it and then just sort of realised, you know, this is a re- there's a reason why you're a solo artist now. You know, just <laughs> yeah. don't, don't get hung up on this stuff and then just keep focusing on what you're doing. I'd love to in the future, but right now I'm just just sort of focusing on on what I need to do. Yeah, that would be really, really interesting because that you, the type of venue or type of gig you could play is is really sort of limitless, isn't it? Because because dependent on who you're collaborating with, who's part of the band, you could you could be doing an open mic slot and and you could just have somebody there freestyling vocals or rapping while you're playing yeah. in the background. Or you could do something a little bit more intimate type venue bar or something like that, and with your more chilled music, and and you can just you you and a guitarist just kind of playing away and and, and riffing off each other, and and you know that quite intimate kind of gig. Yeah, you, yeah, you could kind be... of go anywhere with it, couldn't you? But um, I see what you're saying with relying on others, and and you go, you are where you are now, and it's uh, maybe it's yeah. something that with your collaborations you've started doing more of maybe it's something that will come naturally from there or something like that i hope so yeah it'd be great to sort of yeah I'm, i feel like i'm starting to build a bit of a network of people who, who have been like really kind of supportive and friendly towards me so that's been great um yeah i mean i, I miss i miss playing live so much i haven't done it since uh i think end of 2018 I think it was the last time i've done it but i hadn't even played guitar live for a while before then i was doing doing vocals yeah and stuff it's like a sort of a uh, sort of hype man backup rapper whatever you want to call it you know um through through most of 2018 and um yeah it's just that 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 feeling that adrenaline when you're up there is so great i love to get lost in the music and just uh be just just transform into somebody somebody else and just sort of make a big scene you know yeah <laughs> Has your has your son shown much interest in in music, your music, or or anything like that? So my old guitar teacher, he bought him a this like plastic um, guitar. It looks like a Gibson Explorer, and um, uh, you press you press buttons. When you press the power button, you play Rapture by Maiden. So I'm really happy right. with that. Yeah, that's not bad. And um, it looks <laughs> it's um sort of built like a bit like a Guitar Hero controller. So you got like the, yeah. these like fret buttons. And um, press them like drum beats playing, like or whammy bar. You press on that, it plays little riffs and that kind of stuff. He quite likes it. And there's um, there's a local guy in Brighton called um, Music with Mike. Um, big shout out to him. He's like fantastic dude, and he does um, you know these, these like guitar playing shows, and obviously he actually sings you know songs of the kids, you know, or, or like Rose um, in the Bass, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Um, but my son absolutely loves loves that sort of thing. So. Um, during the pandemic first when the first lockdown especially happened and play parts with shark couldn't go outside anything like that you know you get a bit stuck for what to do and sometimes you do put on the tv and um music mike was just doing content on youtube which was absolutely brilliant thing for him to be doing during lockdown so um he still got to have the experience and watching him play guitar during all of that that's good you're making a note of that one now. I'm, I'm, I'm just writing that down. Yeah, check that out. <laughs> yeah, dude, music with Mike is awesome. He's so he's so great, and I've spoken to him a few times. He's a really lovely guy. And is it just got, um, is it just stuff for the kids? 
Yeah, it's just it's just for the kids. Yeah. But when you watch it immediately, for me, it's it's like watching porn or something, man. Because um, <laughs> behind him on the wall, it's just guitars everywhere on the wall. So oh, for me, okay. I'm just like absolutely just like oh, this is what I want to do with my life. I want this yeah. in the future. I just like yeah, these guitars yeah. up here. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I'll check that out. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, do it. Yeah, it's fantastic. We got um, we got my five year old a, a guitar for. I think it was for christmas last year or or maybe his birthday um might have been nice. his birthday but he's still it was a small is a, a small like half size one but he still quite can't quite get his hand around around the neck um i mean he loves he loves like dragging it around the house and and <laughs> you know if if i'm having a saturday afternoon and we're not particularly going out or doing anything and, and just put youtube on and watch a few sort of Live live concerts or some some old festival um, footage and and just listen to some music that way, um, you know, kind of pretending that I'm going to a festival. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's, and it's then nice he'll go, he'll he'll drag the guitar down and, and he'll stand in front of the telly and he'll pretend he's playing and um, I, I need to sort of get him get him into lessons really and get him on the right track, which is where I maybe went wrong <laughs> and try and get yeah. him back there. But when he's slightly older and he can play properly. I've said we're, we're going to go back, back to lessons together and I'll do it with him and then we can play together. Um, that sounds great. Hopefully. That sounds really cool. I, I did um, I did teach guitar briefly for about two years, I think it was, whilst I was at university, just like a bit of pocket money. And one of my, one of my clients was actually a dad and his son and um, that was always really sweet that they were, that they were doing that. The, the dad had a fair bit of experience so he knew exactly what he was doing. The son, the, you know, I think he'd ever really helped one before he was just starting out but it was like really cool yeah to see them doing that it was just like a bit of father father son bonding time really yeah because um you know like i spoke to uh an early years educator before and, and one of her pieces of advice to me was um looking at my own interests sort of having that trying to do that with with my own son so um sometimes with when you know music mic is on I'll um I'll get my guitar out and play along because he's only playing like you know really simple chords and stuff. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just play along, and then my son will spend after time looking at me, just like sort of seeing what I'm doing. He realises it matches the sound that's coming from the TV. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's just it's just a nice little thing. You know, his his little guitar there as well, and it just feels like we're all we're all playing together. Yeah, and it's really nice. But it is it is cool that you can like stream all these festivals and stuff on the on YouTube now because I know that Coachella was, was streamed live and I naturally had to watch Limp Bizkit set of course yeah, yeah. Um, which was you know, absolutely brilliant and it was nice because I've always wanted to go to Coachella and so I finally got to because they were streaming it live on TV and I think that would be the future of live shows because there's plenty plenty of stuff that in America that I'd love to go to and just don't have the funds for and um, unless unless they want to make me play, you know, um, if the organised for Coachella is listening, then I would love to play at the festival. <laughs> I wish you, I wish they were listening. <laughs> uh, maybe one day. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we did. I did a lot of that through the last summer. Obviously, just missing missing going to gigs and and festivals and just getting out and about and doing things. Really. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so we did a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite the same watching it on your TV, but it is better than nothing, and you yeah. get to see. Like, you do, you do kind of get sucked in a little bit into the crowd, which is which yeah. is nice. It there was a couple of things 
last year. I don't know if they'll do it again this year. Maybe they will, depending on COVID situation throughout the States. But um, there was a couple of country uh, music shows and, and me and my wife went over to America and went to Nashville in 2019. And ever since then, we've kind of been oh, wow. on this sort of little love affair with country music and we've been flirting in and out of, of bits and pieces. Um, there's a few decent artists and there's some not so decent and, and we're kind of working our way through it. But um, obviously our, our sort of music tastes are quite different, but the, the country part seems to kind of bring us both sort of in together and we kind of like similar things. Um, That's nice. That's cool. So they they obviously were doing um, festivals and shows but they couldn't have an audience, so they were doing a lot of um, streaming online. But they were doing somewhere. It was like a, it's like a, oh, it, it was like you pay for the gig, but it was like a donation. It wasn't like a full gig price, and then you get like you allocate. You have to log in and sign up and everything, and it brings you in a bit like a Zoom meeting. But yeah, there was yeah. more cameras for more access, and like there was interviews and a bit like. A bit like, um, I suppose, what like the BBC do at Reading Festival, something like that, where they have a bit more going on. And um, we we did we did sign up to one or two of them uh, during the summer, and, and we just because uh, we, when we were over there, it was like was it J- July time, and there was a lot of the advertisement going on and the banners and posters up, and we just thought, you know, if we come back, if if we came back in like four weeks' time, it would have been absolute peak season, and there would have been all these country music festivals on throughout Nashville and stuff. And it would have just been really interesting to see. It was good enough as it was, but we would have just been hit that peak time. Um, So I just, I just signed up to a couple and, you know, through the donation in whatever it was in dollars, it didn't work out a lot in pounds. And I just thought, yeah, let's do that because we're not going anywhere else. And uh, we sat, we sat up and watched it of an evening so we only had the one child then and he, he was going to bed at good times so we could sit downstairs and enjoy it um but now we've got the baby it doesn't that's not happening now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah kind of kind of makes things a bit different a bit, a bit more difficult doesn't it yeah yeah when he's maybe a, when he's a bit older and we can uh go back out to gigs and stuff again we'll start start booking some men <laughs> yeah that's cool that's cool so if that's um country music is kind of like the the the, the synergy between yourself and your wife in terms of music taste. What, 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 what stuff are you listening to that she's not so into? Then I'm curious. Um, well, my my taste kind of varies, sort of similarly to yours, but slightly different in terms of like I'll listen to Metallica, Motorhead, Deep Purple, that kind of classic rock, and I listen to Planet Rock a lot on the radio just while I'm working. Um, yeah. But then I like a lot of rap and hip hop as well. Um, and then I also like all that sort of early 2000s and, and indie music as well that comes around. So even like Blink-182 and Blink Biscuit, maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they're, um, they're quite a quiet taste, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, Slipknot Corn. Um, it was just thinking of that slipped my mind now. Papa Roach and all that kind of stuff. Because when I listen to that yeah. now, that reminds me of being a teenager when we thought we were skateboarders, when none of us could really skate, and all we'd do, <laughs> and all we'd do is sit around the park and listen to music uh, on the old Walkman phones. So all that, all that kind of mixed, really. And there's one or two, obviously, in there that I listen to more so than others. But I mean, like me, my wife's interest would be more like, oh god, I don't know, uh, like take that <laughs> or <laughs> something right, like that right, you know right. what i mean uh more poppy type stuff 
which obviously I can listen to, but I'm not necessarily enjoying it. But then even even with the country music stuff, she likes some of the more cheesy type stuff that I'm not really like. This isn't real country, and she's like, well, yeah, but it's just a good song. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, just fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite a mix mixture there um, of what I listen to. But uh, I don't know if you've heard you've ever heard of Yellow Wolf. No, I can't say I have. Anyone I've ever spoke to about music is like, you know, when you get to that question, it's like, what are you listening to now? Or who do you listen to now? And I'm like, everyone should listen to Yellow Wolf. <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah, I'll give it a try then, definitely. <laughs> he's got quite a mixture. So he, he he incorporates the kind of rock, rap, country kind of elements because he's from down south Nashville area now he's based. So... He kind of incorporates all that kind of mix. So he's like he's got albums that are just straight up like southern rap or or just hip hop, and then he's got yeah. other albums that have got bits of country music mixed in and and bits of rock and rap. And he's actually bringing out an album in March, I think, and it's it's going to be his first album where he's not doing any rapping whatsoever. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, Sounds cool. It's been a a collaboration and and produced by Shooter Jennings. Who's the... Any relation to Waylon Jennings? Yeah, yeah, it's his son. Ah, okay. Yeah, so they're all sort of from around that kind of same scene and area and they all know each other and, and this has been something that's been in the works for a while, so so I've read and um, I'm interested to see what, what, that hap- what happens with that because he's actually quite a good rapper, so it's going to be interesting to see what else he can do and, and whether it's as good or I don't know. I'll probably like it anyway, but um, <laughs> yeah, I spoke, I spoke to my mate on one of these episodes where we did an album swap and, and Yellow Wolf was one of them albums. So um, yes. apologies if any listeners think, God, shut up talking about Yellow Wolf. But yeah. <laughs> it's, good to, it's good to be passionate about yeah. like certain, yeah. you know, certain bands and artists and stuff. I mean, for me, yeah. I'm, I'm really, really into um, uh, Linkin Park is a big one, particularly like their early stuff. So yeah. um, I think, um, yeah, I could go on all day about the 20th, 20th anniversary Hyper Theory that came out. Uh, last uh, two years ago now. yeah um, I think that's a brilliant album that was a great album yeah yeah I mean for the... me one of the things about the anniversary edition was that it had all these all these old demos and stuff from before right. before even Chester was in the band yeah and you can hear uh, you know for me obviously as a music artist I feel like I, I, I think that I listen to music maybe a little bit differently to, to something like my wife who's not musically trained you know she um uh she studied psychology rather than music so um for me i'll listen to like these really really old demos and they're like really crummy qualities as recording their bedroom yeah. like a four track you know yeah and um it's before they had chester in the band and um you know some of the some of them from a songwriting perspective are really really poor but you can hear the foundations of what what they would later become yeah. from both a band perspective and what they were trying to achieve and their sound and the kind of vibe they were going for to also the song itself. So there's one that I recommend everybody listen to. It's called Blue, which is on that um, album yeah. as one of the demos. Um, that one's actually got Chester on it and it's a pretty, you know, mediocre song. It's okay. And then at the very end of the track, it lasts like 30 seconds. It breaks into this really, really heavy, um, like Chester, Chester Bennington screaming his head off with these heavy guitars, and that bit 
formed the, the chorus for the song Crawling. Right. And you listen, you listen to it, it's like, you know, you could initially just like blow off this song Blue. It's just like, oh, what's this? It's terrible, whatever, you know. Um, and and never work on it again. But they were so committed to improving their songs and making what they wrote as good as possible and making themselves as, as, as great as they could be, that they took that song and made it into something that is, you know, at the time was one of their biggest tracks and something that made them really well known. Yeah. Um, because they, you know, just pushed themselves as hard as they could. And I think this is one of the things where I've maybe been let down by the musicians before because it hasn't been immediate success immediately, you know, great, amazing. You have to work on it. You have to push yourself. You have to keep trying. You have to keep, you know, writing and writing and writing until you get to what you need to do. I mean, like I said, with my last band, we wrote two, two, 300 songs in about 18 months because we were just trying to find find the right sound, find who we were and, and improve our songwriting skills to the point, you know, where we were writing tracks that were releasable. We've got some awful, awful stuff, which is still on my laptop. And I listened to some of it about a week ago when I was like trying to clear some stuff off and it was just so appalling. I could hardly listen to it. Yeah, but we had to go through that process in order to, yeah, to, yeah. to get to the level that we needed to be. Linkin Park had to do the same thing. They're one of the most successful, you know, rock bands of all time. Their first yeah. album went, you know, Hybrid Theory went diamond it's in America. It sold ten million copies. That's... Can't argue with that. It's so <laughs> successful, and they started from this really, really mediocre kind of unimpressed sound. Um, yeah, Jeff that... Blue, who's their A and R guy, listened to it. And was like, nah, this is this isn't that great. Listen to them again a few years later, just after they got Chester in. It was like, yeah, this is right, a bit better. And then they started demoing for the Hybrid Theory album, got a deal with Warner Brothers, and it was just just phenomenal. That's I another mean, nobody one. believed in them at the time. There's another one of them albums I was probably listening to a lot while we were sat around in my mate's bedroom playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Uh, yeah, and we were just busting that out. And he was a massive fan. He probably got me into them, to be honest. Um, and then, I mean, even my uncle was listening to him a little bit on that first album. So, yeah, yeah great album. Yeah, my mum was probably the, might have been, the, I can't remember if it was my mum or my brother is the person who got me into it. I know my mum was into that album as well. And, um, you yeah, know, I was, you know, really, really young at the time when that came out. You know, I was like, I don't know. Three, five—I can't even remember when it came out, yeah. and um, came out, and you know, it was just just something that I grew up with. My brother used to sing "One Step Closer" all the time yeah. as well, yeah. um, just like bellowing out through the house. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was great because that was when like MTV was still a thing that played music videos and wasn't just full of reality TV. So it was like we we could yeah, sit and watch it this. on there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've heard no, the story I'm... that music, music television, MTV used yeah. to actually play music videos on there. Whereas, yeah. uh, for me, it was just like they're just playing like Georgie Shore and Jackass on there. That's all I ever like. I mean, I'll let, I'll let them off with Jackass, but all the other stuff was crap. So, um, <laughs> I'll just turn into like an old moaning dad now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, like, uh, yeah, I understand what the kids are into, Daisy, or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just. Changing times or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, they were a business, and if that's what they had to do, and that's what they had to do. I know the music video isn't that big of a thing anymore. I'd like yeah. to certainly get some music videos done. Um, you know, shout out to Sam Curtis, um, who's, you know, a phenomenal um, uh, film, uh, videographer. He's a fantastic dude, so I hope to work with him again in the future at some point. 
Yeah, and obviously then you move into the sort of era of YouTube and everything can be independent and done yourself. And, you know, even great videographers like like you mentioned can put their works up themselves, up on YouTube themselves, should I say. And, um, yeah. you know, that you know the need for it to go via all these sort of different um, channels doesn't yeah. need to happen now. So it's, you know, it can be a good thing as well, but... Um, yeah, accessibility and distribution is you know, easier than ever. But then, yeah. when it becomes easy, it becomes hugely saturated. And then you have to find a way to make yourself, um, you know, stand out from from the crowd. I mean, the yeah. weekend is a really, really cool example where he released these albums for free on on the internet. And I think he posted some stuff on up on YouTube as well, and it went went viral. And part of the reason why it went viral was because. In the first, the cover for his first mixtape, he had three of them come out. The first one had exposed breasts in it, I think. Right. And um, uh, nobody knew who this person was. Nobody you know, knew what he looked like, nothing to do with his identity whatsoever. And the story that I heard was that he was working in American Apparel at the time. And one of his colleagues went up to him and told him about this amazing new artist that he discovered called The Weeknd and <laughs> um, had to like go and download this guy's music. It's, it's like the next big thing. It's amazing. It's going to be huge not realising that the person he was talking to was actually The weekend himself. Yeah. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I love that story. I think that's so cool. Uh, it's amazing and, if it's you know, true, but it sounds a little bit like a story that you, if that was you, you'd make it up yourself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> potentially, yeah. I mean, it's, it's marketing at the end of the day. You know, you yeah, have this, yeah. this persona of like, you know, being this enigmatic person and nobody knew who, this, who The weekend was. And that just builds this intrigue around like, you know, who is this? We want to find out. And that goes all the way back it's not a modern thing you think of like um uh, robert johnson in the early 1900s the famous blues guitarist yeah you know allegedly sold his soul to the devil for amazing yeah. guitar abilities in reality he just spent night after night at a graveyard practicing but word gets around and suddenly it's like oh jamie you gotta go check out this guitarist he's playing in town tonight he sold his soul to the devil he's yeah, so good yeah, because yeah. he's always the devil he's going to hell all this kind of stuff and like Jimi hendrix you know oh, this dude like he um plays guitar behind his behind his back and um, his teeth and then he's yeah. like, oh, his guitar he smashed it smashed it all up it's incredible you gotta see this man yeah you're definitely gonna go and watch them type of shows aren't you at least just to say they never did it when i was there or you know they did do it and it yeah. was amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and they've become more known for like those those acts than yeah um than their music you know you mentioned Jimi hendrix and you think about setting your guitar on fire you mentioned the who you're thinking about um instruments being smashed up yeah, you mentioned yeah. robert johnson you think about doing a deal with the devil yeah and it's suddenly it's you know it's not about the music it's about the marketing really yeah and yeah people absolutely think some, yeah people think that it's a modern gimmicky thing that's come up in the past like 10 20 years it's always been around you know shops have signs in them that's marketing <laughs> What sort of things are you working on at the moment? I know you've mentioned your new album and, and obviously tell us what you're working on and where anyone who wants to can find you and listen to you. Uh, shameless plug time. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got my new album. It's called The Search For. It's coming out on February 11th and that's going to be on all uh, online streaming platforms. So Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer. Um, if you've got Napster, please stream it because Napster pay the most. So the title, they pay, they pay quite a lot per stream. So please... Please get your accounts on there. Uh, I've, I'm also working on a collaboration with an artist in Brighton called, uh, well, just moved to London actually, called uh, Luami. She's absolutely brilliant, um, brilliant singer, 
and I spell uh, L-U apostrophe A-M-I. She's got music out on Spotify, Apple Music, all, the, all those places. Brilliant stuff to listen to. If you like Erica Badu, especially, you'll yeah, love okay. her music. It's that kind of sound. She reminds me of Erica Badu a lot. Interesting. Um, yeah, and there's one other project I'm working on, but unfortunately I cannot say anything at the moment, just that everybody is um, uh, in for a real treat with what I'm working on at the moment. It's going to be um, really, really different, really, really cool. And I can tell you privately afterwards what it is, if you wish. <laughs> yeah. So then anybody who wishes to see what that might be needs to go and uh, check out your socials and keep up to date with you, don't they? And where can they find them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm on Instagram. That's the main place where you can find me. It's at confidential underscore lo-fi. So that's L-O-F-I. Um, if you message me, I will answer. You know, I love talking to people. I'm not not the most active in terms of posting on there, but um, I'm always on there answering messages. If people want to, you know, speak to me for whatever reason. You know, if it's a mental health thing, I'll always, you know, do everything I can to help and just offer support. You know, if you just want somebody to listen, then I will listen. Um, you want to talk about music? Great. You know, I'll definitely talk about music. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Confidential Lo-Fi. So just no underscore. Um, you find me on Spotify as well. Follow me on Spotify. So when my new album comes out, you'll get alerted and um, be able to listen to it before everybody else. Yeah. Great. Thanks for coming back on and uh, doing a part two and chatting music. Oh, dude, thank you so much for having me. It's been great <laughs> to talk to you. Great to see you again as well, Jamie. Yeah, it's been good to talk again. Um, welcome back anytime. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've had a really great time. I'll keep my eye out for the new album. Lovely. Lovely to hear from you, man. Thanks for coming on. I'll see everybody soon, or I'll speak to everybody soon. Cheers.